Hey friends, if you have ideas for themes that you would like to see featured on this podcast, please write to us with your suggestion and possible guests to nicechats at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now enjoy the show. Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I am Dr. B, and in each episode I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of geological problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geology, I, with the help of our guest, will take care of feeding you all the information you need in a casual and fun environment. Despite of what Angus tried to convince us of in the last episode of Nice Chats, this is a callback to the last episode, so go listen to it. We all know by now that not all rocks are formed by the diagenesis of sediments. But in reality, a very important process in the formation of rocks is when they crystallize from magma, the so-called igneous rocks. We all have seen images of volcanoes erupting and ejecting lava in various parts of the globe, but what might not be very clear is that the composition of those lavas changes quite drastically from going from the original chamber of the magma deep down the earth to when it reaches the surface. And that's not the only geological process that changes the composition of that magma. By the time we end up with all of the magma gone, made into rocks, it is pretty hard to guess what the original composition was. That's when scientists like our guest of today look into small vestiges of what that original magma that got trapped inside tiny crystals way back when they were formed. Today we're talking with my countrywoman and ECR celebrity, Dr. Bruna Carvalho. Bruna is a postdoc at the University of Padova in Italia, and she's gonna tell us all about melt inclusions. Let's have a chat with her. Oi, Bruna, bem-vinda ao nosso podcast Nice Chats. Oi, Vitor. Obrigada pelo convite. <laughs> yeah, so for the benefit of most of our listeners, we'll switch to English now, ok? O preferisci l'italiano? Mia moglie ha fatto un buon lavoro insegnandomi un po', ah? Ah, che bravo, anch'io parlo italiano. Nah, nah, let's just stick with English again. So let's try again. Welcome to Nice Chats, Bruna. Uh, it's nice to finally meet you after hearing so much about you from Tommaso and Silvia. Hi, Vitor. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I see that you did your PhD at the University of Quebec uh, in Chicoutimi. Is that so? So, yeah, I did my PhD in Canada uh, uh -huh. with migmatites from Brazil, actually. And okay. then I came to Italy for a postdoc on melt inclusions. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> do you speak French as well? Yeah, uh, I can speak French, but after I came to Italy, I learned uh, Italian, and so it's really messy. Uh, it's a bit right. difficult right now. 
And I guess you speak that weird Canadian French, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not so, so Canadian. I, I actually spent uh, six months at uh, UCAM in Montreal ah. uh, in 2015. I worked with Professor Ross Stiverson. Yeah. At, uh, yeah. And at the time that, uh, that I went there, I actually had already lived in France. So I spoke French. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had a really hard time understanding Quebecois. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. They have a particular <laughs> accent. But yeah, you can get through it. And especially the region where I was, it's even mm -hmm. uh, stronger. Yeah, the right. Accent. I bet. In mm -hmm. the middle of the north. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when I when you were there at the time that you were there, um, there was a buddy of mine that was also um, doing his master there. Do mm -hmm. you know Luis Felipe Salim? We call him Bob. Yeah, sure. Uh, we ha we had the same office. Actually, mm -hmm. I, I was the one who went pick him up at the airport. And yeah, oh, of wow. course, we became great friends. And I remember when uh, he arrived, he had a, a very heavy jacket. But, you know, when it's so cold, you have to wear layers. And he mm -hmm. had just like his uh, T-shirt and the jacket. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to freeze. But I didn't want to do the mama, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> so if he hears about this, now he's going to to know what I, what I thought when I saw him. Oh, my God, he's going to get sick. <laughs> Okay, so as you know, I like to always kick things off with a little game to break the ice. This week we are revisiting a game that we played before and that caused a lot of argument between different groups in geosciences. We are playing Sample, Curate or Hammer. This is a play on the traditional Kiss, Marry, Kill game. Basically, I will give you three options, and then from these, you will have to choose one option that you would sample in the field. You know, chuck it in your calco bag and bring it to the lab. Then you have to pick one that is so special that you would want to curate to your collection and keep it forever. Okay. And finally, the last one is the one that you wouldn't mind just hammering away in order to get to the good bits. So it's basically a list from least to most favorite. Okay. Are you up for it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see. First one is restite, pegmatite, granite. What? Sorry, granite. This one is a bit of a tongue twister. So restite, pegmatite, granite. So I would curate um, the restite. Okay. I would sample the granite mm -hmm. and hammer the pegmatite. I mean, you obviously have never been to the pegmatite mines of tourmaline in Minas Gerais because uh, <laughs> once you go in and you see, you know, a tourmaline crystal that is the size of a human being, you wouldn't hammer away the pegmatite. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. But, you know, when you are studying actually migmatites and migmatite terrains, you don't really care about the, the pegmatites. That's why. <laughs> And I would always uh, curate a granite. There you go. <laughs> they are my favorite. So, <laughs> so uh, between uranium lead zircon, argon argon, and muscovite, and lutetium hafnium in garnet. I would sample the uranium lead. Okay. Mm, I would curate the lutetium hafnium. <laughs> okay, so that's basically your favorite one. Mm. So sample is like the medium, curate is the favorite, and the hammer is the least favorite. 
It's because I never worked with uh, Lutetium Hafnio. <laughs> so you want to hammer it or you want to keep uh, no, it? No, I will, I will hammer for sure the, the Argon Argon. Oh my God, so much hate for Argon Argon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I go for uh, sample the Lutetium mm -hmm. Hafnio. Okay. Then curate running lead and mm -hmm. hammer for sure the, <laughs> the argon argon. <laughs> yeah, okay. So listeners of the show, they will know my love for my love-hate relationship for Zircon because it's been most of my work in the last year or so. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've even been accused to rig the game with Angus to make sure that uranium lead in Zircon would win, which um, if you if you're making these allegations, contact my lawyers. We're getting the lawyers involved. <laughs> We're ready to go into litigation. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it, for me, it's hard to choose between these. But uh, I would have to go with Argon Argon instead of Lutetium Afnium, just because I published a little bit of Argon Argon in my, in my papers before. So, you know. Yeah, I understand. And maybe my list can change because I can also in the future work with some Argon Argon. Who knows? That's it. Um, okay, so next, which one would you sample, curate or hammer? Um, modeling, natural sample or experiment? Ooh. Natural sample, I would curate. Um, I would um, sample the experiment and okay. hammer the, the modeling. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. You agree with that? Sylvia? Yeah, I definitely agree with her. But you're the one doing the modeling, dude. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> natural sampling is always to curate. Yeah, <laughs> I no mean... no discussion about that. If then, if I mean, there can be discussion between modeling and experiment, probably. Mm -hmm. maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I would uh, hammer the experiment and... Uh, Sample the modeling. Oh my god, this is so cool. It depends. It depends. We're gonna because, get, gonna get yeah. hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, between ultra high temperature, ultra high pressure, or medium pressure and temperature. Oh, that's a hard one because actually I would curate them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the medium temperature is um above the solidus, of course. <laughs> so um, let's see, I would curate the ultra high temperature because it's mm -hmm. my project right now. So uh, I would sample the UHP uh, and uh, hammer the medium, uh, oh, okay. medium temperature. Uh, yeah, I agree with your pick. Um, I would also pick ultra high temperature as the favorite one because um, we have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk to Dr. Mayra Tedeschi about UHT. So stay tuned. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Final one. Uh, which one would you hammer, sample or curate? Coral, illustrator or paint? Oh, I would hammer paint for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would sample... Uh, it's difficult because actually I'm new into Illustrator. So anyway, I will curate then uh, uh, Corel and mm -hmm. sample Illustrator just because I'm a beginner. But yeah, I can acknowledge that is a it's much better, much better yeah. one. 
So Coro is not sponsoring this uh, this uh, episode of Nice Chats, but I would also curate Coral just because you can buy a license and have it forever. And uh, <laughs> Illustrator, you have to keep uh, renewing the subscription. So, but you know, paint. I mean, we all have to agree. You know, you have to hammer away paint because long gone are the days that I would be lazy enough to make shitty figures on paint. But no, nowadays, you know, I, I do much better. I actually use PowerPoint to make the figures five minutes before the presentations. <laughs> <laughs> so lazy of you, eh? <laughs> uh, I mean, come on, it's like pretty standard that uh, researchers are finishing their, their figures, you know, five minutes before they present. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, final one. This is a tricky one, huh? Canada, Brazil, or Italy? No, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> it's just so difficult. I mean, oh, you're making me a bad person now. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, I have to be honest, no? So, I would sample Brazil. Mm -hmm. I would create Italy because now it's in my heart. I really love being here and I get I got used to it. So and I would hammer Canada, but I wouldn't. I swear I wouldn't because Dude, don't feel bad about hammering Canada because it's way too damn cold. No, like, but uh, everyone's gonna understand. And also I think that Canadians are so polite that even though we're hammering them. They're going to be, you know, okay, we understand. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but I can't. I mean, it was an important part also of my of my life. And I loved being there. Even though during the winter, of course, it was really tough. But uh, autumn is beautiful. And also in the summer, you always have nature very close to you. Mm. So it's an amazing country. Yeah, the two weeks of summer in Shkutimi are, uh, are gorgeous. <laughs> Well, I can't really blame Bruna for choosing Italy as her favorite. As I'm sure you know, I also have found Italy to produce some pretty good stuff. Wink, wink. Also, pizza. Come on. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram to get the latest updates on the Nice Chats podcast. At GeoDrB. That is G-E-O-D-R-B. Ora, torniamo in studio. Okay, so, Bruna, let's get down to the good bit, shall we? Yeah, okay, let's go. So, first question is the most basic question I can ask you. What are melt inclusions? So, melt inclusions, they may be defined as, as small droplets of a melt uh, trapped inside the minerals during their growth. And if we consider this definition, we can expect that melt inclusions may be trapped as temperature decreases and minerals crystallize from a magma, or also as temperature increases and uh, peritactic minerals are formed as a result of incongruent melting reactions. So these would be uh, igneous and uh, metamorphic melt inclusions. Okay, so peritactic minerals, what are those? 
Uh, protectic minerals are solid phases that are formed uh, as a result of melting. So, for example, if you have a reaction that is biotite, plagioclase, quartz, and slimanite, you can form garnet and the melt at the same time. So this uh-huh. protectic phase can trap this small droplet of melt that is forming at, at this moment. Uh-huh. And uh, the drops that are entrapped inside of these minerals, do they stay as drops or do they become glass or rocks or something? When the rocks cool down, uh, these uh, inclusions, they may remain as a glass or they may crystallize into a cryptocrystalline aggregate, which uh, has a granitic assemblage. And because of that, we call them nanogranitoids. Ah, okay. So that's what nanogranitoids are. Yes, they are ah, crystallized inclusions inside the peritactic minerals. Okay, cool. And in which kind of rock do we find melt inclusions? This question is tricky uh, mm-hmm. because I have to think about um, an igneous rock can have a melt inclusion, of course. But I'm working uh, with uh, melt inclusions in metamorphic rocks. So ah, the, okay. the first point is that the rock needs uh, to have been melted at a point. So the rock uh, had melted. And so it can be a migmatite or a granulite, but also um, partially melted enclaves may contain uh, these inclusions. Okay, so although igneous rocks do contain also um, melt inclusions in their minerals, you're more interested in the melt inclusions that are generated afterwards. So after a rock has been you know, formed and then Uh, affected by metamorphism, once the metamorphic uh, gradient is so high that you start to form new melt, so you start to remelt that uh, previous rock, that's what you're interested in. And that's when it can also form melt inclusion in, uh, in crystals. Yes, absolutely. So I'm looking at melt inclusions, not in igneous rocks, but mm-hmm. uh, in metamorphic rocks, so okay. migmatites. Yeah, so, and I said in the introduction, that, you know, igneous rocks, they form from the crystallization of magma. And in the case of these rocks that you're focused uh, in, they also form as the re-melting, let's say, of, uh, of a rock that was, uh, that was already there. Right, so you know that these melts, they came from remelting the original rock. Or, se- or sediment. Yeah, or sediment. So answer me this. Why is it relevant to study the melt inclusions? instead of just investigating, you know, the granitic and other metamorphic rocks that you have. Okay, so uh, melt inclusions, they may be a starting point to study the magmatic evolution of a system. For example, if you have uh, an igneous rock, and especially in, the, in terms of volatiles, because as you said also in the introduction, the volatiles are lost. So usually people go to uh, study melt inclusions. But in the case of uh, melt inclusions in metamorphic rocks, the ones that I'm studying, they actually represent the first droplets of the melt uh, before any modification happens. So when you have a, a migmatite that is melting, uh, the melt is also segregating to form um, leucosomes, for example. However, when we go to those outcrops and we start studying the migmatites, we see that the leucosomes, they are not original melts, but 
they may be uh, just um, more fractionated melts or more cumulate uh, melts, cumulatic melts. And so when we go to study the melt inclusions, we are uh, studying these first droplets, so the primary and original compositions of uh, what was melting. So we can use these starting points also to, to understand um, the melt compositions, but also the, the fluid regime. We can always go to study the volatiles. And uh, these things, before we, we knew of the, of the existence of the melt inclusions, uh, those points were studied only by experimental petrology. And as we know, experimental petrology helped us a lot to understand many, uh, many aspects of crustal melting. They may have limitations. With melt inclusions in migmatites and granulites, we are investigating what we could call nat natural experiment charges. Oh, okay. Uh, so the point is basically that the melt inclusions are actually a record of the initial stage of the melt before other processes happened because you know the 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 thing is that when a melt is uh, being formed and then afterwards being crystallized it doesn't just uh you know it doesn't just become liquid and then solid from night to day it uh, you, it goes through several processes where some elements uh might be lost or uh, some elements are taken by different mineral phases and then min mineral phases are actually being formed at different times. Yeah. Um, and you're basically trying to, you know, go on time before all of these complicated processes took place. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, yeah, in the, in the environment uh, where the rock is, is being partially melted, it's a very dynamic environment. So you have mm -hmm. crystallization, you may have also contamination by uh, residuum, for example, which is called the recital mixing, or you can have entrainment of peritactic phases. So you have several processes that change this static composition uh, to form the leucosomes or even other melt-rich rocks, such as diatexites, for example. I just want to say another important point about uh, these melt inclusions in, in migmatites and granulites. So mm -hmm. their presence also tells you uh, that the rock is melt has melted. This may seem something trivial, but it's not because, for example, all the microstructures that are evidence for partial melting, they may be erased very easily, uh, for example, by deformation. And so there are examples of rocks that have a matrix that is completely deformed and no one could ever say this rock has melted. But you go inside the garnet and you do see uh, the tiny melt inclusions. So, yeah, they can also tell you that a rock has melted. Okay, cool. And what kind of information can we extract by the melt inclusions? So you mentioned that the existence of melt inclusions is already... Um, a powerful source of information because it tells you that melting actually did occur. But um, what else can we get? Can we get, you know, maybe chemical uh, information? Can we get some physical properties of the magma? Yeah, absolutely. You, ha you can have uh, the chemical information, but you need to go through a process 
because uh, as I mentioned, uh, and maybe I should explain that. So when we are working with migmatites and granulites, most of the melt inclusions, they are crystallized because the rock has cooled very slowly. So only sometimes you have glass inclusions. With the glass inclusions, you can analyze them immediately for major elements, for, for example, using the microprobe. But when we, we are studying the nanogranitoids, which are the crystallized uh, version of these inclusions, we need to uh, remelt them uh, because we need to reverse the process of crystallization. And we do that using a piston cylinder, so using uh, the PT conditions that we think the rock has formed. So mm -hmm. we uh, take the little pieces uh, of the host, so the, the garnet, and we put inside the capsule, and then we load it into a piston cylinder and do the experiment at the PT conditions that we, we think was that of the entrapment. With this process, we re-homogenize this inclusion and reverse the process of crystallization. And after this point, we can analyze the, the major element composition with the microprobe. We can also do trace elements. We can do uh, nanoseams, for example, to get the volatiles. Uh, so yeah, we can we can analyze in several ways. But before uh, before the experiments, it's also important that we we can analyze these inclusions uh, also by Raman uh, using Raman microspectroscopy. We can analyze them also uh, with the scanning electron microscope just to identify the phases mm -hmm. and do. For, for example, compositional maps of the phases, because sometimes they have so tiny minerals inside them, so they mm -hmm. are like one micron or so, that is difficult to get uh, a composition of this phase. So when we do the, mm -hmm. the chemical maps, we can understand, oh, see this, um, this symplectite, it was actually a quartz plus biotite, in this case it was plagioclase plus uh, quartz and so on. So yeah, there are many ways mm -hmm. that we can analyze them. So the reason why you remelt the nanogranites is because the phases are too small that you cannot uh, analyze the composition of each phases individually uh, with even the microprobe or... Yes, this uh, is one point. Uh, you can't analyze uh, the composition of the phases, but also because um, when we have, for example, the crystallized phases and we have them at the surface, we may have lost part of this inclusion uh, before, no? And so even if we analyzed uh, all these compositions and we could try a mass balance to get the composition of the melt itself, it would be difficult because we didn't know how much we had lost. But if you re-homogenize them, then when you bring them to the surface, because you do with the polishing, then what you bring at the surface is already something homogeneous. And, and then you can get the composition uh, very well. And uh, we talked uh, at the beginning of the episode that you mentioned that um, 
you did your PhD in Canada and you focused, <coughs> sorry, yeah, you mentioned that you focused in migmatites from Brazil. Um, and then now you're studying, you know, tiny little melt inclusions in small crystals. So what made you go for this change of scale and what, um, you know, was the, the driving force behind you making this shift? <laughs> So, yeah, I, I was working with migmatites uh, from Brazil, so they were dietic sites. And, and that the, at that point, I already knew that it was really difficult to have the initial composition of the melts, even though the rocks were melt-rich. And uh, I remember when I saw the first paper on melt inclusions, I was really fascinated by it. I was, oh my God, it's amazing. You can have all this information in such a tiny, tiny droplet. Uh, it's crazy. So I thought, well, this could be a, a good project for a postdoc. And mm -hmm. then I, I think I had a good timing. I asked for the position here and they had a project so they said yeah you can come i came for an interview obviously i gave a talk here at the department and then a few uh, one year later i came uh, to oh, stay <laughs> yeah and uh, how does this changing scale actually change your approach to the way you work to the phases of the work yeah uh, actually uh, one thing that really did was to improve my petrography skills because <laughs> you are looking for these tiny, tiny objects, and at the beginning, I mean, you, are, you, you are not sure what they are, and after your eyes get so well trained, and now, I mean, I take samples that, well, are from other places I never seen, and I spot, oh, there's a fluid inclusion here, there's a melt inclusion here, oh my god, oh my god, so. This was one point. And also I, I was able to use other techniques that before I didn't. For example, as I said, the Raman uh, microspectroscopy, but also uh, the nano seams because you need uh, small spots because the, the inclusions are so tiny. So they, most of them are smaller than 10 microns. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, and another thing that I was able to work with was the experimental petrology. So. As I said, uh, I, I think, I don't know if we were already uh, recording at this point, but we were talking about the modeling and uh, how it, and the experimental petrology, how it's important to have um, the sample to, to use your, what you're seeing in your rocks. So the experimental petrology for me uh, was based on my natural rocks. So that's why mm -hmm. I think it was so cool. Uh, to use this technique, um, yeah, this approach. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned um, that you are also trained in uh, spotting fluid inclusions. Do you, can you tell me what is the difference between fluid and melt inclusions? So, uh, actually both, uh, they are trapped as a fluid. In, in similar ways, they may be trapped. So the mineral is growing in the presence of, of a, a liquid or a fluid, we can say. But the difference uh, between fluid and melt inclusion is that the melt inclusion at surface, it will be a solid. Mm -hmm. As we said, a glass or uh, crystals that have been crystallized from this tiny uh, melt. 
whereas the fluid inclusion will remain as uh, mostly as a liquid at at uh, at surface temperatures. Just a, an interesting question, I think, that you might be able to help us with. Which are the oldest rocks where melt inclusions were found? <laughs> yeah, that's a funny, uh, funny question because, well, if you if we think about the definition that I told you, means that any rock could have it, right? So even the oldest mm -hmm. piece of rock could have it. And um, for the, to answer this question, I actually went to look a little bit in the literature because I'm studying um, these metamorphic melt inclusions. Uh, that it's not a long time ago that they were discovered. So the database is being built yet. Uh, and mm -hmm. then I realized that actually there are lots of melt inclusions in, uh, in meteorites. So I think, uh, yeah, it can be old, ah, as old as, uh, as our Earth <laughs> or the solar system. That's cool. That's very good. I wasn't expecting this answer. Yeah. But after I can send you the paper so you can see the, the little... The, I mean, the images, they are quite cute, <laughs> the little melt inclusions in olivine. Yeah, we can, we can put the, in the show notes, we can put a link to the paper that contains these, uh, these nice melt inclusions. Um, for our next segment, we like to ask always the same three questions at the end of every episode. Uh, these are questions which are a bit more personal and they are designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listeners and also allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all of the geoscience research fields. And our first question, as always, is how did you first decide to become a geologist, Bruno? So... Uh, I will go a bit back on that because actually when I was a child, I remember my mom, she bought a collection of books, those books that would arrive, you know, every month. Mm -hmm. And in this collection, there were two books that I really loved. One was uh, the solar system and the other one was the earth. Uh -huh. And I loved those books, but I didn't know, uh, I didn't think about doing geology as a kid. But I think this uh, these books, they... They actually showed how much I, I was already a, of a geoscientist inside. And um, mm -hmm. ac actually, when I was 17 years old, there was a friend of mine doing geology. So I asked him a little bit, uh, ah, how is the course and so on. That's when I decided. That's cool. And um, what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at the present? And I mean, we've talked extensively about your recent at the moment, so maybe I don't know, give us some details or tell us exactly what you're doing right now. Okay, so actually I have three projects um, going mm -hmm. on right now. The first of them, uh, it's a project that I am a PI, as is funded by uh, the Italian government. It's on melt inclusions on uh, ultra-high temperature rocks from Antarctica. So I'm looking at melt compositions, volatiles, uh, and so on. Uh, the second project is on uh, melt and fluid inclusions in ultra-high pressure rocks from Norway. So I'm collaborating with Australian researchers on that one. And uh, another one that I, I'm starting right now, I'm adventuring myself into melt inclusions in highly silicic volcanic rocks. 
So yeah, I'm excited about this one. It's, it's pretty new. <laughs> yeah, well, sounds like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but exciting. Uh, and then finally, what do you enjoy doing when you are not geology? Yeah, so I would say that I love hanging out with my dog, Darwin. <laughs> He's a pug. Mm -hmm. He's very funny. So I love being <laughs> with him and exploring nature with him, if possible. And mm -hmm. also, I love trail running. I discovered this sport here in Italy. And actually, I really love it um, to run in nature, in the mountains. Uh, makes me feel really, really happy. <laughs> oh, that's great. Sounds good. So, Bruna, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to talk to us today. Um, I learned so much. Ah, thanks, Victor. I'm so glad to, to have participated. Uh, thanks for the invitation and the, the show is great. I, I love it. Thank you, listener, for checking out another episode of Nice Chats. We have added Bruna's contacts to the show notes in case you want to get in touch with her or check out her publications. I would also like to mention that we recently wrote a blog entry for the GMPV division of EGU. If you haven't seen it yet, I recommend you to check it out. The GMPV blog is a great science communication platform and you should definitely read some of their great posts. This podcast is brought to you by the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe to Nice Chats and tell your friends about the show. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Don't believe the hype. Igneous is not bliss. Stay curious.